Turn in um, your Bibles to the book of Joshua. So we're going to be looking out of tonight, the book of Joshua. Tonight we're going to be starting a series um, that I'm going to be doing on Sunday nights on revival. The book of Joshua in chapter 7. Revival is something that we all have have probably heard about, have all hopefully prayed for, um, have probably heard great accounts in history where where God's Spirit caused a great awakening and a great revival. Joshua chapter 7, and begin reading in verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the cursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth and on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let us let about two or three thousand men Go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. In Joshua chapter 6 is the account of um, the fall of Jericho. Now, if you remember, the fall of Jericho was a great working of God's power. Um, Once again, it was a display of how often God's plan and the way God does things are not according to our plan or don't necessarily have to make sense to us. It does not make any sense why walking around a city every day and then on on the seventh day, you know, walking around it seven times and shouting and and making noise, why that should cause the city to crumble. God's plan often does not go along with us, but God uses that to manifest his power. So in chapter 6, the, the people of Israel had just come off this great victory over the city of Jericho. And now they're going um, to Ai. And that's why they say, you know, we don't need to send any, everybody there. It'll be an easy victory. We'll send two or 3,000 men. And at the end of verse 3, it says, you know, they don't all need to go up, but why, why make all the people labor? So they're coming off this great victory and going up against the battle against the people of Ai. And so then continuing reading in verse four. So there went up thither of the people about 3000 men and they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai smote them about 30 and six for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Sibarium and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord What shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, 
Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled. Also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can um, open it up and uh, read accounts in history how your spirit has mightily worked, how, uh, God, we are so privileged to have that. Lord, we thank you for um, just the beauty of your creation that manifests your power and um, We understand such a small portion of it, yet it still blows us away. God, we thank you for allowing us to enjoy that. Father, I ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts, that you would give me wisdom, and uh, that your spirit would be evident tonight, and that we would be obedient to your spirit's leading. And may you get all the glory, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The issue of revival. Revival means an awakening or restoration to life or to be revived. So in order to revive something, there needs to be what? There has to be some life still there, right? As I was studying studying on this issue of revival and thinking about uh, the restoration and the awakening, if you've driven anywhere in Iowa, you see dead deer along the side of the road everywhere and probably quite a few of us myself included in here have hit one this year and so I was thinking about this and thinking I could stop on the side of the road at one of those deer and try as hard as I want I could take that deer into the vet clinic and say here can you can you bring this back to life but if there's no life left in that deer there's no way that it can be revived so starting out On this issue of revival, if you're here tonight and you have never personally accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have never been born again, born of the Spirit, if you don't have that life within you tonight, then this issue of revival and reviving that Spirit is not going to make sense to you. It's not going to apply. Salvation is the first thing that needs to take place in our life. When each one of us are born... We're not born as perfect little saints into the world. No, we are born, each and every one of us were born as hell-deserving sinners. Now, it's hard for us to say, yes, I was born a hell-deserving sinner, because we like to think of ourselves as better than we are. Last week, Dan taught in in Sunday school and shared about... um, you know, that that Paul said he was the greatest of sinners. And Dan was sharing that each one of us should say, should be able to say that I am the greatest of sinners. Does that mean I have done the, the most? We are all sinners, which means we are the greatest of sinners. So 
If you're here tonight and you have never personally accepted Christ as your Savior, that is where it needs to begin tonight for you. This issue of revival, the awakening, the restoration of your spiritual life, of your soul. Something else in the issue of revival. Revival, we oftentimes like to think of the great workings of God um, where hundreds of people come, thousands of people get saved, and these, these huge displays. But revival is not something for a big crowd of people. Is that how it's manifest sometimes? Yes. But it has to start personally. Revival is personal. It's not a corporate thing. It starts in your life. It starts in my life. And a lot of times I think, I know me personally too, in praying for revival, we pray for the big version. But so often we miss praying for revival in our own lives, in the personal. And it has to start personal before it goes bigger. Now, we pray that it it does spread, but we do not have a religion here. What we have is a relationship, and a relationship, in all relationships, they're personal. So revival has to be personal. In the book of Joshua, we, we read the account of sin in the camp of Israel, a transgression. And one of the biggest hindrances to revival is sin in our lives. I believe that most of us here, if we were to take a poll, that most of us would say, yes, I want revival to happen. I want that would be great to see the power of God. But how many of us are willing to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that revival can start in my heart and life? One of the greatest hindrances to revival is sin. Sin in our lives. A couple things that sin in our lives always brings. Sin in our lives will always bring, number one, the anger of God. And we see this in verse one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tri- of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, maybe you're saying, hold on now. You're saying that God is angry at us then because of our sin? I thought we served a loving God. We do serve a loving God. But we also serve a holy and just God. And God cannot put his holiness and justness aside. But the thing about it is, he wants restoration. It's not the type of anger that you and I know where we, where we just explode and, and take it out on any. No, God wants restoration. And in verse 1 it says, Because of their sin, because of Achan's sin, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. I think another thing that we can see from that sin will always bring in our lives, we see this in verse 12, that it brings defeat. Now, as it was mentioned, this, the children of Israel were coming off of a great victory, a great show of God's power. And then in verse 12, therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, 
but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Sin in our lives will bring defeat. So I ask you in your life, if we were to examine your life closely, would it be a life that you said, man, the power of God is just displayed at one victory after another? Or is it defeat after defeat after defeat? Sin in our lives is going to bring defeat. Christians today are living defeated lives because of sin. And we will continue to, to do that until the sin is taken care of. What did God say in, in Joshua? The children of Israel are, were so, are so like us. I, I think it's funny, you know, after such a great victory... Then they fall into sin right away and they fall into sin and they're defeated. And so what's their response when they're defeated? And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. And he and the elders of Israel put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought us this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side. What They start complaining right away, don't they? Oh, I wish we had just stayed over there. You know, none of this would have happened. If you remember early on when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt across the Red Sea and parted the waters for them, they get to the other side and the first time they're hungry, the first time they're thirsty, oh man, when we were back in Egypt, we might have been slaves, but at least we had plenty of food and water. They have seen such miracles happen, and it's so the same in our lives. God does something in our life, and then the next step, we fall right back in, something halfway bad happens. Oh, I wish. And what's God's response? Here's, here's Joshua on, on, his, on his face before God, crying out to God. And it says in verse 10, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed the covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. What's God, God's, what are you doing down on your hands and knees? There's sin in the camp that needs to be taken care of, and, and here you are on your face crying out to me. There's action that needs to be done. One of the first things that I thought of was, in, in reading that, was um, thinking back to 9-11 and how after that tragedy happened in our country, how flocks of people went to the church crying out to God. And I can't help but think that God was up in heaven saying, okay, you're, you're crying out to me. But there's things in your life that need to be taken care of. We wanted to come to him and say, oh, this is terrible that's happening. Will you fix the problem? But we don't want to fix the sin that's in our own life. We want to come before God. God, please send a revival among us. And, and I pray that he does. But so many times I think as we're sitting there praying for revival, which is a good thing, that God is saying, Get up, there's sin in your life that needs to be taken care of. 
that's hindering the revival from coming. But no, we sit there. Oh, I don't understand why. We, we have prayer meetings for revival. It, it, was, it was a great prayer meeting. You know, we had a good crowd come to pray for revival. Why isn't revival happening? And God is saying, get up. There's sin in the camp that needs to be taken care of. What are you doing about it? Sin is a great hindrance to revival. Sin always brings defeat in our lives. Because God's presence and his power are gone from us, and that leads us to the next point, that sin in our lives always brings God's departure. God's, God's um, presence and God's power departs from our life. Verse 12. Wherefore the children of Israel could not stand before, before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed, Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. When we have sin in our life, because it separates that, that fellowship with God is broken. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, the first sin that happened, what did it do? It broke the fellowship with God. And it's the same in our life. When we have sin in our life that we have not taken care of, that fellowship with God is broken, and therefore the power of God is no longer manifest in our life. And it was evident in the children of Israel. They had come off of such a great victory because of the power of God. But then when sin was in their life, they were defeated by somebody that they should have easily been able to defeat. When we have sin in our life, God's presence and power is not evident in our life. So I ask, is God's power evident in your life tonight? What can you say that, that God has been doing through your life? When, when Satan looks at you, is he scared at what you're doing for God, tearing down strongholds? Or, or I often think back to, to Job and, and God bringing Job up before Satan. Oh, have you considered my servant Job? And um, I'm afraid that many times if God would bring us up in front of Satan, Satan would bust up laughing and be like, Oh, yeah, oh that's your servant? Oh, I couldn't tell. And, and that's a shame. If God brought us up before Satan and said, have you seen my servant? Have you seen my servant, Andrew? Would, would Satan be like, yeah, well, or would he be like, oh, I, he's fine. Let him go. He's not doing anything to hurt, to hurt me. Is God's power evident in your life? If you can look back to a time in your life and say, at that time, I could really sense God's power and God's presence. You need to get back to a walk that you had then. If you can't say that today, that God's presence is evident, you need to examine your life. Because as we said, it's personal. You need to examine your life and see what there is that you're not surrendering. Revival will always bring a hatred of sin with it. 
not just of the consequences. So many times that that's what happens. We say, oh, yeah, that's wrong. I hate we hate sin. But what we really hate deep down inside is the consequences of the sin. If we could remove the consequences, we wouldn't have that big of a problem with the sin. But revival, a reviving of our heart, getting it back to total dependence upon God, brings a hatred of sin with it. So what do we do to get back to a place of reviving our hearts? I think the first thing that we have to do is we need to go to God and surrender. A dying of self. A.W. Tozer once said, You always knew one thing about a man carrying a cross out of town. He wasn't going to come back again, meaning he was going to die. So many times we bring our cross to the altar and set it there on the altar. And then we're bringing the same cross back the next week and the next week and the next week. We need to die to self and surrender. Say, God, you are the creator of the universe. You created me. You know what's best for me. I'm surrendering it all. We're, we're all humans. We all know how it is. We say, well, that sin, yeah, but have you seen what that Christian's doing over there? What I'm doing isn't half as bad as that. So, like, if they would, if they would, fix that then maybe i would i would deal with mine or yeah it might be technically wrong but is it that bad or i'll take care of it later we we are very very good at coming up with excuses why we shouldn't surrender to god why what we're doing is okay but god says i want it all He says, I gave my all for you. And the least that we can do is give our all back to God. So the first thing we need to do is surrender. Secondly, we need to seek God's help. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 5. We need to seek God's help. Jesus is speaking here and he says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. When we understand this, that without God we can do absolutely nothing. God, God will bring reminders reminders of this into our life earlier in the in the fall i was playing soccer and just just running down the field and and tweaked a nerve in my back and it's amazing how just one little thing like that can throw you all out of whack and you you think that you can do things on your own until tell god gives you a little reminder like that how fragile our bodies are and that everything is in his control. It's so easy to think, oh, I can, I can do that. But 
we need God's help for everything. And so in this issue of, in this topic of revival, obviously, in a working of God's spirit, we need to cry out to him and seek his help. Then number three, we need to search. We need, as I said a little earlier, we need to search our own lives. And this goes along with with, um, point number two of seeking God's help. We need to ask God to search our lives. Turn over to Psalms chapter 139. Psalms 139. Psalms 139 and verse 23. David is speaking here and he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. How many of us are willing to pray that prayer tonight? I think quite a few of us will probably say, I'm not so sure if I want God to search my heart right now and know my thoughts even though he already does are you willing to say god i want you to search my life to see if there is any sin that i haven't dealt with to see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting back in joshua in 13 in verse 13 he says up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. We need God's help to search our lives. And then, maybe most importantly, number four, We must be obedient. Not only do we need to cry out, but we saw we saw in Joshua that the people that they were crying out to God. But God was saying, it's time for you to take action and time for you to be obedient. There's sin in the camp that you need to take care of. I don't know how many times I heard this growing up at home, but obedience plus Anything else equals disobedience. Because this is, what, this is what would happen. Not very often, but a few times. Here, we need you to come, come help with this. Yeah, yeah, I'll be, there. I'll be there in a minute. Just a second. No, no, come right now. No, just a second. And then obedience plus delay equals disobedience. I always hated hearing that, by the way, but it's true. (laughs) We don't like to hear when we're wrong, do we? (laughs) God is wanting us and commanding us and telling us to be obedient. This goes back to surrendering. We need to say, God, no matter what you ask of me, no matter what it is, I'm going to be obedient. I know a lot of times I've said... God, I, I want to know, what, what do you want me to do? And in my mind thinking, once you tell me, then I'll decide if I'm actually going to do it or not. 
Like, let me, let me hear what it is, and then I'll kind of see if, man, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. That doesn't make any sense. No, but God wants us to come to him and say, no matter what it is, I, I don't need to know up front what it is, what you want me to do. No matter what it is, I'm going to do it without any questions asked. Because obviously you know best. You created me. You love me with a perfect love that, that we can't fully understand. And you know what's best for my life. And I'm going to do whatever it is you're asking me to do. So I ask you, each and every one of you tonight, what is it in your life that maybe you're not surrendering to God? Maybe you're holding on to, maybe you're saying, it's not that big of thing. It's not that big of deal. Look at the, these other people. Or it's not totally wrong, is it? Or what is it that maybe God is saying, get up, you need to take action. Here's what it is you need to do. And you're saying, I know that as children of God, that he is working in each and every one of our lives because he said that he would be perfecting us. So what is it that God is telling you to do? Asking you to be obedient in, to surrender to. What is it that you need to say, God, I'm sorry I've been holding on to this. It was not right. And I'm giving it over to you. I'm laying my cross at the altar to leave it for good. Never to take it with me again. God is asking each and every one of us to do something. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. But God wants us to be fully surrendered to him. And then to be obedient to him. No matter what the cost. We see what, what happens when we don't and aren't obedient to him. When we have sin. Do you want the anger of God upon you? Do you want to be defeated? Do you want God's power to be gone from you? Or, or do you want to, when God looks upon you, him to be pleased at what his child is doing? To say, wow, look at how my power is just being displayed through their life. But so many times when unsaved people see us, they, they get a view of God that just totally destroys his name. How powerful of God do they see in your life? Do they see the creator of the universe that made our bodies so perfectly just by speaking? Or do they see a powerless God? So what is God asking you to do tonight? What is he asking you to surrender or you to obey to? As was said, it's a personal choice up to each and every one of us that we need to search our lives and take care of. So what do you need to surrender to God to tonight? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you don't give up on us. Even the many times that, that we aren't obedient to you and, and 
I thank you that you keep pursuing us with a perfect love. Lord, I know that you have moved in each in each one of our hearts and lives um, an area that we need to take care of, an, an area that we need to surrender to you, that we need to say, I'm, I'm tired of fighting this. It's time to get up and take care of the sin that's in the camp. God, I do pray that you would send a revival. I ask that you would send a revival and that you would start it in my life and, and that, that you would just, your power would be displayed. God, we thank you so much for, for your word and for your Holy Spirit that speaks to us. May you get the honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.